Hello. Welcome to the Betsy Boss Podcast. Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. We are here with part two of our incredibly salacious, probably the most salacious of all time, I think, murder mystery, Um, at least in American history, at least in Californian history. Yeah. Um, They're usually known for their chill vibes, but this is more of thrill vibes. Today, we're talking about the murder of the Black Dahlia. Yeah, Hollywood to Holly won't. (laughs) Hollywood and I wouldn't go home with Mm -mm. a Dr. George Hodel if I were you but in in any event do we have any liberty to spill today or do we want to head right into this salacious mystery I don't think we do but this just reminded me of a fun fact I don't know if you know about the Hollywood sign Um, no out there in Hollywood this is so interesting I love these like fun little facts that you learn about things um so back in the day when, when all of that was still kind of being developed and they were building um, housing developments out in the Hollywood Hills, that sign actually said, I think it was Hollywood Land, and it was actually supposed to be a temporary advertisement for a new housing development out there. And people loved it so much, and it got shortened to just Hollywood so that it wasn't just advertising that like housing development. And it just stuck out there. So that's how how Hollywood, Hollywood got its name. Like it was always Hollywood, obviously. But the iconic Hollywood and Hollywood sign, that's how that all came about. Which I thought was so interesting. Like That is so cool. I never knew that. I would never have known that. It also looks like quite the production to put all those letters up there. It's kind of on top of those cliffs. I mean, classic though, back in the day, people have just like way more time, way more, you know what I mean? It's just like, "Eh, let's just go big or go home, like for a housing development. Who cares? Right? Why not? That's what I'm talking about. Go big or go home. I like that. Uh, Or go big or buy a home in Hollywood. Exactly. (laughs) Oh my gosh, exactly. Well, you know. Now, somebody who chose to go big and make Hollywood their home was the lovely Elizabeth Short, who we talked about last episode. And, you know, I think we sort of left off with the state of her body when they yeah. found her. Yeah. And it was really, you know, quite the massacre, so. but it was, you know, it was also very artfully displayed and yeah. very um, surgically Symbolic separated. Yes. Yeah, the precision with which the murderer separated the top half of the body from the bottom half of the body was just this incredible surgical precision. Only a really experienced surgeon could have done this, we thought. The lack of blood, too. I just feel like all remember all of the stuff, all those little details that we went into in our last episode that kind of, I think, will feed into this theory of who might have done it, who done it. <laughs> um, over here in this next part because it's just weird little details like that that I think you'll kind of connect the dots as we go into this main suspect here or we'll give you the dots and connect them for you True. because the dots are going to read GH and those <laughs> right. are the initials right. hmm. of the individual and it's, it's guess who with an H yeah (laughs) is your person a mustachioed murderer is he yeah did he get a doctor's degree and was a child savant like (laughs) did he date older women from the time he was 17 george it's george man you oh darn rats (laughs) got me again okay funny fact actually about that game 
there was one card, of course, it was the blonde white girl that I, I want to say her name was like Cindy or something. Yeah, or Lisa or something. Something like that, that my sister always wanted to get. And so she would make sure that she would get that card as her person. And she did it so many times that that card ended up getting like all bent. Bangled. And so it was so, so easy. So you know who it was. Like, is it Lisa? Oh, man. Darn. <laughs> well, as I recall, I think it was like a 25 to 75 women to men ratio. At least. At right? Least, if not more so. I remember, because I remember there were like, I, I can think of like maybe like four or five women off the bat. And the rest Me were too. men with various facial hair and glasses and stuff. And God forbid you were a racial or ethnic minority because people were mostly... Yeah. Also, what kind of game is this? Is it a black man? Like... Oh, great. It's Roger. Like, yeah. thanks a lot. Yeah. Knocked me out in one shot. <laughs> it's so true. I forget, too. Did oh. you choose the card or did you... They got shuffled randomly and you just got they who you got. They were supposed to be shuffled and you got who you got, but you also didn't know who the other person got. So it was supposed to be, like, random. But of, of course, course, in my household, the Lisa card or whoever she was was always so crumpled. It was easy to, like pick that and obvious for whoever got her so oh my gosh well I remember a particularly um embarrassing moment it wasn't embarrassing for me but it was embarrassing for a certain kindergarten teacher of mine oh God. um shout out to her she taught us Irish oh dancing God. and she was a very strict um Irish Catholic teacher but oh she God. um so had this teacher and oh, Guess who was extremely popular when we were oh, children? I got it for Especially like yeah. that period of time. Yep. Actually, not to interrupt again, but I think that was the game that I got for Christmas the one year when I said, I don't know what this is called. But, but I, I wanted it. it. <laughs> yeah. It was popular before I could even read. It was incredibly popular. And basically, so we were going back and forth one day playing Guess Who, a good rousing game of Guess Who. And my, I guess I was playing with a parent and my parent said, does your person have facial hair? Right. And I said, what's that facial hair? Like, oh God. Oh God. And they said, oh, it's like hair on your face, you know, <laughs> like a beard or a mustache or whatever. Right. And, and I'm going to change the name to protect the individuals. Oh. Um, but I said, oh, the way Mrs. O'Hara has Oh my God, no. So obviously they intended that little lesson to be about men and their beards and mustaches, right. but obviously some women have a little bit of a problem. I was going to say, obviously it was taken a little to, kids say the darndest thing. They sure do. Know. And honestly, it bit me in the ass later in life oh. when I got some facial hair. Tell me about it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I need to shave here. Quarantine has not been nice to me. No, it's been a long time since I've gotten my stash wax and done yeah. or the eyebrows. I'm looking like Groucho Marx. But Ugh. in any event, it's a real guess who here today. We are going to have you not guessing who. I was going to because... say, yeah, it's, it's clearly George. It is so clearly George. There, was a, I, there has to be a George card. I'm going to look this up after this. this uh, oh, I'm positive there is. And if there is, I'll post it on our oh, Instagram. Exactly. But basically, this George, George Hodel, was, I mean, my God, what an interesting life he led. And he yeah. lived to a really old age. I think he was like 93 or 92. Yeah, he was in his 90s. Yeah. And he was just a incredibly brilliant character. Like you said, he was a child prodigy. He grew up just 
well advanced beyond his years. And I think he started off kind of playing the piano and he just yep. took to that like a duck to water and, you know, became basically this like concert pianist, um, just incredibly brilliant, incredibly smart and ended up going to school, going to college. I mean, very early, I think when yeah. he was 15. Yeah. So he graduated high school at age 15. Um, around this time too, I guess it was recorded that he already had an IQ of 186. So he was up there on the charts. Um, yeah. He went to California Institute of Technology, now Caltech in Pasadena. Um, but even little Georgie back then was forced to leave after just one year there due to a sex scandal with a professor's mm -hmm. wife. Which is no shock at all when you hear his later um, oh affairs and interests. He, whew, but I mean, picture this. It's a 15-year-old yeah, child. Yeah, that's what I can't get over. And who was this woman yeah. who would have sex with a 15-year-old child? That's crazy. It's, and it, that's just crazy to me. Right? And crazier yet is the fact that he impregnated her. Yeah. And essentially, you know, she gets pregnant, she leaves, this poor female professor, oh goes back to the East Coast, has the baby, and George kind of follows her there, right? And tries to yeah. be with her because he's yeah. mature beyond his years. It's kind of sad in a way. It's almost like yeah. the movie Big when the Tom Hanks as a child goes out on a date with um, the adult woman. And yeah. it's just sort of this weird moment when it's like, yeah, you're a man in a young, in a boy's body, but like, right. this is still kind of creepy. Yeah, but you're still a child. Like You're still I, a I child. It's still, your brain can, you can be so smart, but you've only lived so many years in like life experience type of thing. Like, exactly. You can never really be older, you know, than you are. Right. So in any event, he tries to be with this woman. He tries to be her partner and she rejected him. She's basically like, you're a child, George. Right go back home yeah. like this is this is scary yeah. so he goes back kind of tail between the legs and who knows what became of this child no i, I think, think yeah it was a shameful thing and that's a crazy thing to think about too like even with all this dna genealogy stuff going on out there could you imagine even just like finding out going on ancestry.com and finding out that you're that individual and connecting to all this family, being able to listen to a podcast, because there's tons of podcasts, tons of stuff out there on George Hodel, and being Absolutely. able to like, trace yourself back to that family legacy. I think that's crazy. Oh, and if we could even call it a legacy, I don't yeah. even know what the um, infamy, I guess, would be more fitting, because Ugh. he's just got this horrendous trail, which we'll get yeah. into more, of bad behavior and yeah. just really corrupt messed up stuff we're talking incest we're talking um weird sexual deviancy yeah. he is kind of the perfect target for a potential murderer of the black dahlia yeah and i don't even want to use the word target for him because honestly he's dead anyway so like yeah he did we want. but like at least what i've kind of seen out there and i know you have too he he he's no target he's no victim he is a bad man yeah exactly yeah no absolutely so after this last child that who knows what's going on with that 
he was in 1928 in a common law marriage with Amelia and they had a son named Duncan and there's kids all over the place there's wives not wives all over the place so it's definitely you need some type of tree like you were saying he ended up then getting legally married um, in San Francisco or to a San Francisco model San Franciscan named Dorothy Anthony and they had a daughter named Tamar this was in 1930 and then we get into this is I think some very relevant background he graduated from Berkeley pre-med in 1932 and then he went on to the University of uh, California, San Francisco, and got his medical degree in 1936. So he ended up having a successful medical practice. He was actually the head of the county social hygiene bureau, which I think is such a typical like 1930s, 1940s type of name, like the social hygiene bureau. Ooh, so true. How do we, you know, mask what this is? Um, but this actually gave him kind of an in with lots of political figures, with um, officials, police officials, stuff like that, law enforcement. And it actually led way to him being a part of the affluent L.A. society by the 1940s. Essentially, George Hodel was a guy who had friends in high places because oh, of yes. his position on this board because of his position as a doctor because of his genius so he really he had a lot of connections and one of those connections was to this artist called man ray oh, um and guy. man ray really specialized in a type of art called surrealism and it basically Surrealism, what you need to know that has to do with this particular case and what makes George Hodel a suspect in this case is that surrealism really capitalizes on the idea that women are not people, not valued, but are subservient and like more than that are just um, kind of conduits yeah. for the art. I was going to say easily objectified, but they mask it by like, it's an art, like in our, ugh, I can't speak. They mask it by saying the fact that it's like in an artistic way. It's for the art of like showing something bigger when really I think a lot of it has to do with just objectifying women. And yeah, that's such a good way of putting yeah. it. Yeah. And Man Ray specifically had a lot of art that um, bisected women and not necessarily mm -hmm. women in parts, but like, you know, he would have art that depicted um, like a truncated woman and, mm -hmm. you know, parts of her would be cut off out of the frame or, and he would have a lot of different art depicting women surrendering or mm -hmm. um, looking as though they're giving up or um, being subservient or docile. Um, and coupled with that, George just had this interest in partying, drinking, he obviously was a huge chauvinist kind of womanizer type um, whose wife, Dorero, was sort of, I don't know, it sounds like she was kind of in on things and mm -hmm. had her own sexual deviancy involved in, you know, her own life. She, I think, was bisexual, yeah, and, which was super unusual at the time. But I, I feel like not necessarily in this 
whole circle though because right just sounded like it was this whole underground kind of like orgy like um what do I want to say like the the unspeakable stuff that nobody nobody talked about during this time especially but it was very common in these circles and these underground kind of parties and um socialite situations right so yeah during these parties I mean so George like you said had a whole mess of children from legitimate wives illegitimate wives girlfriends you know he just he was a womanizer so he frequently you know would get involved with all different types of women and just had tons of kids guys this family tree has so many branches (laughs) they are you know interwoven intertwined it would have to be a damn weeping willow because it just it's hard to even untangle yeah um but with his wife, Dorero, with one of his wives, um, he had a number of sons, and it sounds like throughout his time, you know, drinking, partying, womanizing, etc., he would involve his children in all of that, yep. in that lifestyle. Yep, at all ages, and at all stages, pretty much, in the party, you know? Exactly. Like, you're a kid, but you're not. Like, they just yeah the kids were secondary and it was like if you're there you're a part of it and it was kind of more so about their needs and wants the the parents and the adults than it was about anything going on with the kids exactly so going along with these parties and all this crazy womanizing I think that's what you know we were kind of getting into there and everything um I think an important part of where all this took place was this lovely Hollywood property that is so creepy in my opinion I don't know it's just um, called the Snowden house it's now a historic landmark and they actually lived there from um, 1945 until 1950 and so talk about the perfect setting for like a creepy murder and I don't know these crazy artistic satanic sadomasochist kind of people yeah definitely the perfect setting a perfect backdrop it sure is and in 1945 was um when there was the mysterious death of george hodell's secretary Mm -hmm. so she died by a mysterious drug overdose Mm -hmm. um and honestly it was suspected at the time that george killed her in order to cover up his different you know, financial fraud. He apparently would overbill patients for like tests that he never did for treatment. He never provided. Um, he would also like do fraudulent activities to, um, protect his crazy secrets that he got about the police officers. Cause as we said, he was super entangled in that community from um, politicians. And then there was his whole illegal abortion business. Right. Yeah. And he would cover that up because, you know, he wanted his secretary or he, you could see him having a motive to kill his secretary because she knew about these illegal abortions. Yeah. And amongst all these other things too, all this other stuff going on. Again. So that was 1945 that, um, George Hodel was suspected of possibly killing his secretary, Ruth Spaulding. 
And then 1947 was when Elizabeth Short was found, just to give right. you kind of historical context and a little bit of a timeline. And around the same time in 1949, George Hodel's teenage daughter Tamar accused him of incestuous sexual abuse and that he impregnated her, mm -hmm. um, after which she apparently got a back alley abortion. He ended up, it was crazy. It was like this huge, widely publicized trial. Everybody knew about this. It was, everyone was all a Twitter about this. And then all of a sudden he was just acquitted. Yeah, completely just kind of run away. Yeah, it totally was like kind of scrubbed clean and he just got off. Right. Um, and there were three witnesses that were at the trial and who participated in the sex acts. And two of them, excuse me, only two out of three testified at trial. And the third actually recanted or went back on mm. her prior testimony. She said, I won't come forward. And the theory was that George actually threatened her and sure. said, listen, if you talk, you're dead. So yeah. she freaked out, went silent and, you know, whatever. And the trial basically made Tamar, the daughter of Steve yeah. Hodel, look like a liar. Right. Because when you have people recanting their testimony, going back on what they said, it shows a lack of legitimacy. Yeah. So it's sort of that was a way in which the whole abuse allegation kind of was scrubbed clean, went away, mm -hmm. but he still had this black mark. If you really look into yeah. his history and if you put all the pieces together, even though he was kind of came out smelling like roses, you know, it's it was still, still there. Well, it's a, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I remember when first looking into this, um, looking back up because I have that subscription to all the old newspapers and everything and you can see all the old newspaper articles that are referenced that are still there and think about it back then like how did people get their news it was really mostly like newspapers and I don't even think stuff like this was necessarily on the radio or anything so if that's what they're going off of it's there you know what I mean yeah not that's like, so true yeah it's not like today where you have multiple different outlets that you can kind of follow up on things and see different opinions that are out there. It's just kind of like, well, that's what the newspaper said. So. Right. Yeah. Your yeah. source was your source. The news was the almighty trustworthy agent for getting right. your news. And that was sort of it. There was no challenging yeah. it. There was no contesting it. Whereas today, you know, you have all these different sources, all these different perspectives and, you know, some of that is great, but a lot of it creates this trustworthiness of the mm -hmm. news and right. People, you know, the term fake news comes to mind because a lot of the time people don't know who to believe. They yeah. don't know what the angle is. And, you know, you don't have this kind of controlled, um, just single universal yeah, yeah. news source. So okay. it's interesting. I mean, but like you said, I mean, in that way, if something is there, it's there for a yeah. reason and it's there because it's probably true and legitimate. Yeah. Or like, what if somebody didn't see that later article where he was acquitted and they only saw the one where he was accused or going to trial or his daughter testified against him or whatever? Like, you know, it's just like yeah. stuff is not kind of out there like it is today. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. So in other words, I mean, this trial, quote unquote, went away, but it really didn't because it was that trial that roused the police suspicion of George Hodel when it came to the Elizabeth Short murder. Right. 
And that really sparked right after the sexual abuse trial. And, you know, all, all different sex criminals in the area were getting investigated because of this heinous crime of how the Black Dahlia was killed. And it basically came out it, that in trial that Tamar claimed that her father was the Black Dahlia killer. Right. Yeah. The LAPD was doing an investigation during this time into him, but then I feel like the investigation kind of ended at a certain point because it just, mm-hmm. they couldn't prove it. And then funny enough, years later, his own son ends up becoming a detective, I believe, um, mm-hmm. working for LAPD. And um, he had retired and he was actually cleaning out some of his father's belongings after his father had passed away and came across this little book that had these photographs in it. And one of them, I actually remember watching this documentary about Steve Hodel um, years before, like years ago. It was probably one of those like A&E, like Steve Hodel found his father's, you know, like one of those ones. Um, And he was claiming that, you know, he's like, I I think this, where do I recognize this photograph from? from?" And um, he was like, I think this is the Black Dahlia. And he's like, why does my father have a picture of her? Now, first of all, I have to say, I don't know if you've seen this photo. I don't think it's her. Oh, no, I haven't seen no. it. I don't think it's her. The eyebrows don't, it, I, I don't think it's her. It's a woman with her eyes closed that looks like she's either dead or passed out. I don't mm-hmm. think it's her though. I, I just, oh my I, I don't. God. Yeah. Well, but, I guess regardless, it like roused enough suspicion yeah. and- you know, it was kind of a type, like we said, I mean, people always say, they act like how, you know, could people not recognize that this woman went missing? How did it not cause more of a stir kind of instantly? Because like, oh, it's the Black Dahlia. Like she must've been so striking and so recognizable. But really when it comes down to it, there were a lot of beautiful women in Los Angeles. I mean, this was the height of Hollywood glamour. So it could have been a doppelganger or just yeah. a woman with dark and hair, dark clothes. Hairstyle, like how many people out there had a similar, and her, like I said, her eyes are closed um, and she looks either asleep or deceased or something. It's kind of morbid, morbid. Um, but it just doesn't, it looks close to her. I, I can totally see how somebody could, could make the argument that it is her, but there are just a couple things that I don't think it's her, but right. nevertheless though, doesn't mean he wasn't on the right track because exactly yeah being being in law enforcement a retired law enforcement um he was kind of able to dig into his father's history and the black dahlia case and dig up more official documentation on um his involvement in it right and I mean, as soon as he started investigating, you can almost feel what he must have felt when the pieces started coming together because everything starts to make sense. I mean, George's medical degree was a hugely suspicious thing because, hello, the hemicorpectomy, which we talked about last time, you know, was done with such precision. Well, and and it was a procedure that was generally really taught during the 1930s. He graduated from med school, what did I say, um, in 1936, pre-med 1932, med school 1936. So he's right smack in the middle of the 1930s. Perfect when time. This. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yep. it's so true. 
Um, and so as, again, as we start digging and into George's history, there were at least eight different people who had firsthand knowledge that there was a relationship between Elizabeth Short and George Hodel mm -hmm. back in the day um, in LA. And, you know, basically, um, I think you've talked about, you know, um, Steve Hodel kind of coming across the original file that the LAPD yeah. and the district attorney were sort of investigating. And it revealed that in 1950, George Hodel was the prime yeah. suspect for the Black Dahlia murder. Crazy. And oh, it was to such that. a yeah, I mean, it was to such an extent that his home was actually bugged yeah. yep. for years, right? Mm -hmm. Or no, it was just for a month, my bad. But regardless, oh. it was bugged for... Like, yep. mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but it was bugged for a whole month, which, by the way, is illegal, right? I right. mean... Well, think about back then, though. I mean, it's just like, yeah, okay, just watch and see what he leaves and go ahead in. Like, exactly. You know, like, Ugh, yeah. But there was this whole task force that just revolved around investigating George Hodel. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, in reviewing these tapes, everything like that, there are transcripts of the conversations that um, George Hodel would reference the illegal abortions he gave. Yeah. He would reference the payoffs that he would give to the police to get out of trouble mm -hmm. and to different um, politicians. Same thing, you know, to just to... He had his hand create. in everything. He knew everything. Yeah. Yeah. He was really a slippery guy. Yeah. And he talked about, you know, the deaths and his potential involvement with the deaths of his secretary and of Elizabeth Short. Yeah. Yep. And I think another thing that kind of ties into it too is um, we mentioned Man Ray previously. And um, the theory is that the way that Elizabeth Short's body was positioned, you had mentioned kind of the hands above the head and this surrealist um, kind of staging, I guess you want to say, was a, what do I want to say, like an ode to uh, yeah. some of Man Ray's photography that he had done. And it's almost like it's a sick inside joke. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Between the two of them and by him man ray seeing this body staged this way or learning about this body staged this way it's like oh obviously like ha ha i know i know what you did and you know you know what i mean it's like this mm -hmm. gross inside joke that's such a good way of putting it and i think in one of the podcasts i listened to root of evil which everybody listening oh, to this episode should also listen it to is, because if it's, you want a deep deep dive it is it's, deep and it goes yeah. into the whole Hodel family and just the different issues that, you know, plagued them. Yeah. Um, but essentially they talk about, I forget if it was um, like from the DA tapes that they found or from wh where it was uncovered, but there was a recording of George Hodel, you know, in his own voice, in his own words, talking about art and talking about mm -hmm. surrealism and, he said that his aim wasn't to just shock the public. That wasn't really that appealing at all because the public is sort of, you know, lower than him. They don't really right. understand. They're not quote unquote so in on the joke. Too. Yeah, he was just, uh, and he was, he was exponentially yeah. smarter. He was a genius of, you know, crazy proportions. But his real goal, he said, would be to shock other people in the realm 
in that same community of what is it called? Fuck surrealism. Yeah. <laughs> His real goal was to shock the surrealist community and to right. shock those artists and to get a rise out of them in a way, like you said, you know, to kind of let them in on the joke and to say, hey, look what I did now. Not only did I take these themes that you've been pushing through your surrealist movement, but I killed somebody and I right. staged her body in the theme. Right. And talk about real art at a different level that is going to shock somebody. It's like shocking art at its most extreme. Yes, it's so true. So maybe we should talk about kind of the state of the body and the just to refresh everybody's memory, the fact that the upper torso was in a surrender position, the hands above the head. We have six inches to the west. There is the lower half. The legs are spread. Um, person's cut in half. So it looks like a mannequin, people said. Um, and essentially it's been drained of blood. And um, a criminal scientist in forensics said that there was no way this was random. It was meticulous. It was calculating. There were ligature marks in certain areas, scalpel lacerations, slashing of the mouth, like we said, in that um, grotesque grin yeah. and sodomy. There was removal of certain body parts, incisions that looked like a hysterectomy. And the stomach was filled with granular material and feces, oh, and, which is just disgusting. And you know, in whatever way that a uh, forensics individual does their analysis, they realized that, you know, she had basically been tortured by being forced yeah. to consume this material, which, which is as bad as it gets. It's like, yeah, she, she had been clearly tortured before she was killed. Um, right. But one of the things, I don't know why, but this really sticks out to me, given the fact that you have to think it's like the 1940s, everything you do and buy is going to be fairly local. It's not like, you know, even if you have a lot of money and have a nice house or whatever, I just feel like things are so much more localized with goods and stuff. And near the Black Dahlia's body were actually some bags. They were kind of like sacks or whatever that um, were manure sacks. And um, they had some kind of watery blood on them. And it was presumed that these were actually used to kind of transport or drag the body to the location that it was found. And this, I don't know, this is just crazy to me. George Hodel had had landscaping done at his house. I don't know, it was just recently before this and bought a really good amount of this same exact manure, same exact brand, same exact, you know, everything would be the same. So the fact that these bags, I don't know, to me, I guess just compounded with everything else. Yeah. Suspicious. And it's definitely kind of, because I feel like stuff like that, um, especially because, you know, the body was so clean, having clues like that to be able to at least trace back, it all does eventually kind of add up. So, yeah, no, I think that's so true. That coupled with just all of the different references, like we said, you know, Steve Hodell, the son of George Hodell, became sort of the primary investigator. And his main theory was that his father was the Black Dahlia killer. Right. He also believed that his father was the Zodiac killer. Oh my but God, maybe everybody's we'll... the Zodiac though. Like, right, yeah. I know. And maybe we'll talk about that in another <laughs> episode. But um, just 
I think the allusions to Man Ray's art in the actual murder and in the way the body was displayed and posed combined with the sacks. I just, I don't know. And who knows what else, the fact that he was on the top of the list for the LAPD at the time and so much so that they went in and bugged his house. And then mysteriously just disappears from the list. Right. Well, and then he leaves too. Where did he move? He moved to like Panama or somewhere. Yeah. He really got out of Dodge. Yeah. Like for the remainder of his life. And I don't know, just his sketchy background. And again, living during this time, you could get away with so much more and in that big, creepy, uh, what do I want to call it? Like pyramid kind of house that he was living in there. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, host all kinds of parties that people wouldn't have a clue what was going on in there. Exactly. Okay. So I thought it might be interesting since we're so sold on George Hodel being the killer that we should go into maybe some reasons that he isn't the killer, just for the sake of argument and for the sake of being devil's advocate. So Steve Hodel's entire case against his father, um, his whole franchise about um, his dad being the serial killer and the Black Dahlia killer stands on the claim that Dr. Hodel had this photo of Elizabeth Short in his possession. And like you said, I don't think it's her. If you bring it up, I don't think it's her. I don't think it's her. Now that I'm looking at it, it sort of looks like it's not her. Yeah. And Elizabeth Short's family actually apparently issued a statement saying that neither of the photos in George Hodel's possession were actually of Elizabeth Short. I agree. I mean, I don't think, I don't think they are, truthfully. So I have, a, I have another case that, not really to go against it, but to at least, to go against it and to also bring in some questions. So there's this other interesting case um, that happened. It was the murder of Jean French. And um, this happened, actually, this is awful. She was brutally stomped to death um, in Los Angeles and her killer was never caught. Um, So this was in 1947, February 1947, which again is not not too far from the Black Dahlia here. Um, No, not at all. So the the creepy thing was that um, on her body, you can look at the pictures and it's not totally gruesome on this necessarily, Um, but the killer actually took the time to write in lipstick, fuck you, BD, or PD is what the coroner says, um, text underneath of it. And huh. it's, if you look at the photo, again, you don't have to, because it is, you know, um, but it looks like it could say, fuck you, BD, Black mm-hmm. Dahlia. Oh. Um, so Steve Hodel actually says in his book that he believes that his father may have been involved with this murder too. Um, And so it kind of is like, who knows, it could be another one connected to him or who knows if it could be another one connected, but connected to another serial killer, you know? Wow. That's a really good point. You know, it's hard to tell during this time to kind of what the actual, who the actual killer was a, just because of how crime scenes were, handled back then. I mean, even think of the fact that there was pretty much a dead body, even though covered Sitting out. Light, but like that was published in a newspaper. Right, which is ridiculous. 
Yeah, and so just the way that the press, you know, kind of was so involved from the start and evidence was, I'm sure, not preserved, obviously, like it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I just feel like, I don't know, I, I want to say it was before this time. I want to say it was like the 1920s in Ohio. There was um, the Butcher of Kingsbury Run, and he was another kind of slasher. And then there was also another case that I think was kind of similar. I don't know. It could be kind of tied to this actually in Western Pennsylvania. Again, I want to say it was like during the twenties or thirties, um, where a lot of bodies were found kind of bisected, maybe not necessarily as cleanly or, you know, in the same manner as this, but a lot of like, it just seemed like there were murders all over the place. Right. And And mob murders and like all this stuff going on during this time. So. Oh, totally. I don't know. And the media love to sensationalize these things. So I don't know. I don't, I don't think, do you think it'll ever be solved? Do you think this is something that will ever actually be solved? I don't know. I mean, I don't see how it possibly could be just because like you said, the preservation of evidence just wasn't there and the evidence in general kind of wasn't there. Like there was, there weren't the checks that we have today, the science that we have today. And yeah, it might just remain unsolved. I mean, I am pretty darn convinced that I think so did yeah. it, yeah. but by the same token, I mean, a case could probably so be built ago. for a lot of these people. It was so yeah. long ago. And yeah, you know, this man died at a very old age and I don't know. I don't think it all, I think this will remain one of America's you know, greatest unsolved mysteries. So yeah. But if you are curious about the Hodel family and especially Fauna Hodel, who is the granddaughter of George Hodel, potentially also his daughter, which mm-hmm. you do the math, mm-hmm. um, you can watch I Am the Night, which is on TNT. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I've seen a couple episodes and it really is not bad. And Chris Pine is quite easy on the eyes as well. <laughs> so um, but yeah, it's, it's great for anybody who's interested in this case and in the Hodel family, they are just a weird, wacky family. We barely hit the tip of oh the iceberg God. in this episode. Yeah. So maybe it's worth diving into Fauna or, you know, just the family at large later down the road. But yeah, thanks for sticking with us while we yeah. basically incriminate George Hodel. <laughs> and Thank God he's dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, gosh. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Betsy Boss Podcast. If you'd like to find us online, we're on Facebook at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Instagram at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Twitter at Betsy Boss Pod, and our email is Betsy Boss Podcast at gmail.com. Also, Betsy Boss is now on both iTunes and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and comment. Thanks again for listening.